What is up, listeners? So today, we will have the Real Housewives of Hockey. And just to, to confirm, we talk about hockey, not reality shows. If they come up, I'd be shocked. But we would, wouldn't shy away if it came to it. So I'm Riley. I'm going to be the host today. And I'm uh, welcomed by Panther the Cat. There's a chance that maybe Evan's dog Rolly shows up. So it could be a, a pet-filled episode. We'll see. And uh, next up, speaking of him, uh, Rolly's owner. You want to speak up? Hi, guys. Uh, Evan here. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. We, we really appreciate it. I'm a Canadian-American, born in Montreal, raised in Jersey. And I'm currently a optimistic Habs fan because we have the first overall pick. So we'll, we'll be able to draft a pretty good player. Fingers crossed. Yeah, and I'll pass it on to Stu. Hey, I'm Stu. I'm a sports journalism postgraduate student at Centennial College in Toronto. Currently a sports media free agent looking for a, a gig and have my name in a couple of different places. Enjoy having my name on this one too. So uh, keep in mind though, if uh, anyone listening there is looking to hire a journalist, you got to pay more than what we pay them. It's going to be a <laughs> tough, tough sell. So uh, just a brief breakdown of what we're going to be doing for you today. Uh, we're going to start off by talking about the Western Conference Final, which for us at the time of recording, we are in the middle of Game 3. Well, 2-1, I believe. It is 2-1 at the end of 2 for the Colorado Avalanche. And then after, we'll talk about the Eastern Conference Final. Uh, a bit of news, uh, a Conference Final quiz, and then uh, we'll get on with other news around around the league, and then we have a like small little game at the end, but I think we won't give that one away. We'll get to it. So, Evan, what do you think so far from what you've seen about the Western Conference Final? What do you think will be difference makers in it? I think it's obvious of, like, which superstars are able to impose themselves more often than not. I think that's obviously the key thing. But the other part is um, the depth battle. I think we're really going to see the Oilers' depth get challenged big time for defense because Colorado has a really great team. And obviously, can Mike Smith hold up? <laughs> I'll let you guys address that. But, you know, goaltending has been sort of non-existent, especially that game one with uh, Colorado winning 8-6. But even then, I think uh, they were up 6-3 at one point in the game, and it turned into an 8-6 game. So pretty wild stuff. Um, and that's with Darcy Kepper in that too. So, yeah. But curious to hear what you guys think. Well, it was with Darcy Kemper for part of the game. He left midway through the game with the upper body injury. Yes, thank um, you. Thank you for the corrections, too. He he always seems to get injured. I feel like it's an inevitability. He's like Ben Bishop sort of in that sense. Well, the same feeling. Did you guys hear about Markstrom at all and his kind of struggle with that sort of thing? Wait, wait who'd you say? Markstrom. Oh, Markstrom. Uh, for, him, for him it's not about injury but uh there's a stat that after he plays 66 games throughout a season whether that that includes postseason there his numbers will take a massive dive yeah that was um it was Herman dial of the the athletic had a had an article about it recently yeah and so like it's it's interesting to me that we aren't seeing more teams try to run that tandem like yeah it's great to have the best goal in the league but those what ifs do show up, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, they're all human at the end of the day, and like <clears throat> wear and tear is different depending on like how many shots they're facing every night, right? How hard they have to 
play, like all these different things. Stu, do you want to do, give your Western Conference take? Yeah, well, I so I tuned in to the first game. Maybe it was, I think it was about 6-3 for Colorado. And I was like, all right, it's a game with McDavid and Drysaddle and Kane's been on fire. There's still a chance. We saw some wild games in, in the Calgary series. And it was another wild game. It was like thinking, oh, we're in for another one in the next game. And not so much. Colorado were just a, a much better team in that second game. Uh, had the, the crazy burst of, of scoring in the second period. Colorado, as they've mentioned quite a few times in the broadcast, continues to dominate that second period. But overall, I thought in both games, the Colorado depth is giving Edmonton's depth fits. And we've seen in, or I, I was noticing the, that Jay Woodcroft was really sort of moving the lines around in this first home game for them where they have some, some matchup control. Yeah, so I'm actually going to talk mainly about the recency bias of watching this game currently. And in the first period, I thought, well, I'll talk about the first shift first, because I think that first shift could be series-altering. So in the first shift, we see Connor McDavid, or sorry, like the first three shifts. Within the first three shifts, we see Connor McDavid score in the first shot of the game, 30 seconds in, and it was just, honestly, it was Frank who's not having a stick in the right position. So for me, I'm more worried about the goaltending on the Avs side, because if you look the other way, in that game two, Mike Smith's glove was being targeted. In this game, he went like four for four on glove saves early and was playing really much deeper in his net. So he's making his own adjustments here, as well as I was excited to see that in the, this morning's warm-up, uh, there was a meeting between Mike Smith and the defense. The first two people to talk were Mike Smith and then uh, Duncan Keith. So the vets are showing up and they are talking it out. They had ran 7D for this game, which was interesting. Just a little thing. I noticed Mike Smith's wearing a different mask that could have, sort of goes more with the jersey that they're wearing tonight. But I wondered if that was a little superstition thing. Yeah, I'd be curious to know. Yeah, but also then in the following shift, we see a five-minute major on Evander Kane on a pretty dirty play, and we have not seen Nazem Kadri since. So that's why it could be series-altering, is we're seeing McDavid explode against Frank Hughes right away, and then after that we saw, we saw the injury happen. And in, during that penalty kill, I thought... The without having the bumper that is Kadri, we saw the Avs really struggle at really get quality opportunities, and they just kind of wasted the time on the outside. No one bit on the uh, Edmonton side; just played it really calm and cool. So it seems like I thought they looked much better coached on that PK than we've seen so far this series. It'll be interesting to me because that seems like a good way for them to utilize their depth. Otherwise, they have been running a bunch of different lines pretty much every shift, so I could easily see if Kadri does get a long-term injury here, there goes their 2C, and that's going to be hard to match up against because that's either Drysaddle or Nugent Hopkins. 
yeah, it creates a huge hole for them and down the middle. Uh, and that had been such a huge strength for them earlier in the series, as I'd mentioned before. That depth, the Kadri, Kadri, Lekkinen, Rantanen line, I remember writing down. This line is great. They're they're doing everything in the offensive zone. That was during that that four nothing game. They look fantastic in the offensive zone. Didn't spend very much time in their own end. Uh, Lekkinen was making all the little plays, and Rantanen's just such a such a good player there. Yep. So based off the recency bias, I thought Edmonton looked like the better team because the Abs looked scared with the puck. They seemed to be trying to play it way too pretty. They weren't really getting much done. Whereas when Edmonton had it, they had direct missions and were getting scoring chances. So if they can keep that up, it should be a pretty easy series from the rest of the way out. And if Frank Coos doesn't improve. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I think a lot of us, myself included, might be wrong. And I could see Edmonton taking the series, but I'm not going to go as far to say as I still think that's what's going to happen. It's funny that you're saying Frank Coos needs to improve after the last game where he had a shutout. But yeah, like the adjustments need to be made on that on that second goal or well, on that that first goal rather yeah and then even after that he still was being quite shaky giving out pretty big rebounds which both are not good signs when you have a vander kane playing against you and he loves being the strongest guy in front of the net for sure for sure evan do you want to talk a little bit about lekanen and what you think his impact is yeah so i think a really crucial pickup for the Avs. If you really watch any of the games, Lekin is the type of player that he's not like a superstar with like tons of skill, all that stuff. You know, he does all these really important things on the forecheck for you, playing really hard, not making life easy for the opposition. If you look at different plays, you know, when Lekkonen's engaged, he's able to really help their forecheck get going, help help them also sustain offensive pressure in, uh, you know, against against the Oilers, against... Uh, St. Louis, right, just go down the list of teams. Um, so really, really important player. And also the other part of it is that he's been able to play well with, you know, McKinnon or with Kadri, wherever he's been in the top six, the first, second line. Um, so that's really crucial. And the other part of it is that, like, he's the type of player that you can kind of play him anywhere in your lineup, especially in Colorado's lineup, and he could still be effective, um, which is really great. And I think Lekin in sort of the, how do I say this? He's kind of like a Zach Hyman for Colorado. More of a Zach Hyman or more of a uh, Barkley Goodrow, Blake Coleman? Like, which of those three do you think you could most compare him to? I Like, at first, like, thoughts, gut feel, I would say, like, maybe Goodrow or Hyman. But Hyman, I will say, has been excellent for the Oilers. He's been absolutely terrific, especially even on, like, you watch him against uh, Calgary. He did a phenomenal job of capitalizing on um you know different chances that he was able to generate himself by just playing really really well at different moments and being able to score some crucial goals um maybe also catching uh calgary's defense off guard a bit at different points um and i think lekanen can do that so i'll but because hyman i feel like has been hotter i'll say barkley goudreau but i think also lekanen is able to score how much We'll see. He's not historically. He's not like a fifty goal scorer or anything. But um, he almost scored twenty goals this year in the regular season. Um, so, so I, I want to say that's inflated numbers because he's playing 
probably he's probably playing more minutes than he should have been in in Montreal for most of the year, right? No, not necessarily. Um, historically with Montreal, he's been a airline player, but in the playoffs, he was he was with uh, Deno and Gallagher for that shutdown line. So, you know, on average, I would say he gets about 14, 15 minutes a night. I think in the playoffs, it really depended his. I'm talking about this past season. Oh, this past season? No, not necessarily. It's not like we were like throwing him on our top line. He historically plays third line for at least when he played for the Habs, third line. And then for the Habs, he's kind of bounced around. I think they were kind of figuring out like, okay, where does he fit in? How can we deploy him? Yeah, but I mean, he's still he still put up what's uh, 13, 13 goals. Blackman had goals thirty-eight points in seventy-four games this yeah. year. Nineteen and nineteen, goals, nineteen assists. Yep, he had a bunch of them. Like, does that show the splits for uh, what he had? Where? Uh, nineteen and nineteen, thirty-eight is the total. He had six goals for Carl Colorado, and he had like thirteen for Montreal. I know that's off my head, but it's Stu, if you want to give the assist too. He was, yeah, 13 for Montreal, 6 for the Avs. He was averaging 14.43 in Montreal. was averaging 16.26 regular season for the Avs. Yeah, like that's a solid guy, especially considering he's such a good glue guy. He is averaging 16.5 in the playoffs. Has 8 points through 15. Yeah, and like I think just quickly, if you actually look at sort of some of the players, because Riley, you asked the question, um, he makes less than all those guys that you mentioned. Uh, he's currently making two point four million. That's his uh, cap. Uh, Goudreau makes four something. Someone verify that for me. Three Coleman, eight. Three, three eight. Coleman makes four nine, and uh, Hyman makes six million a year. So there you go. Barkley Goudreau's making three six. Four one point six six seven. Yeah. So Jerry Lekkinen is also shooting twenty percent in the playoffs right now. Lekkinen also is has less cups than both those guys. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. But something to be said, right? Pretty. I, I no. think for the for the contract, very very fair. Um, you get some pretty good value out of that for sure. Shall we move on to the East? Let's do it. I'll yeah. All right. Uh, Stu, you want to start us off with your East opinions? Yeah. So I haven't watched. All of the games I've watched, I've tuned into some and then watched some back uh, in the sort of NHL released game in whatever, 10 minutes or something. And Vasilevsky in that first game, yikes. There were a couple of plays where I was like, ooh, you should have had that one. Like most goalies have that one. You expect Andre Vasilevsky to have that one. In our notes, I typed Rangers offense is heatling up. Because Beadle had that great game one with the pair of goals. Nikita Kucherov still not looking like himself. He had four turnovers in the the 3-2 loss I was reading. And John Cooper was really saying that the team didn't pay attention to the details in that game. Stamkos looked good in that first game with the goal. And still looks like has the speed, but... The, the lightning are on the ropes. It's, uh, and it's largely, I would say, been because Igor Shosturkin's been better than Andre Vasilevsky, even if he doesn't want to admit that he might be the best goalie in the world right now. Yeah, so I, 
I completely agree with everything you said, but I'm just going to add to it, to be honest. I think also we're seeing the depth offense out of uh, out of the Rangers a lot more, as you said, with Heedle. But it's not just Heedle, it's that whole line has been heating up, and that's scary because they run three second lines, really. Like, that Heedle, that kid line could be a second line for a lot of teams out there. And not many people would complain. So, yeah, these guys are young, but keep in mind, like, more postseason experience is just more experience. So they're getting better. They're learning the game more. They're still getting used to the speeds. I think that's been a big factor because, like, Nick Paul got really hot in that game seven, but I haven't heard him do much, to be honest, and just kind of get burned a bunch. So the other thing I want to bring up is I think Vasilevsky might have some sort of injury. I can't tell where from what I've seen, but you're right. Like, I think it, it could be, like, a minor concussion, maybe, because it, I think it comes down to more, as, like, watching his decision-making seems to be off more than a specific, like, oh, he's stretching poorly this way or has slower movement off this foot, like, that sort of thing. Possible to fatigue. Yeah. But I know that they did have the... Or it's the opposite of fatigue. It's the the extra, the rust. He needed to be in games and seeing pucks at full speed. Possible. Uh, the the old rest versus rust because the the Rangers came into this series off of a a pretty hot game seven. Evan. Yeah, just to piggyback off that, I think this is a really good point. I think. To me, I kind of wrote it off, okay, game one, I, I watched most of the game, um, maybe missed the first period at most, I watched the rest of the game, but it was just, they, they were just flat in game one, the Lightning. I think not having Braden Point definitely hurts them. I think they still would have lost, to be honest, given how the entire team was playing. I think you guys made some good points. Andre Veselescu did not seem himself. He seemed off. The timing was off. I think that was, I think that's a crucial thing because the speed is so high and everything, the, right, the, the pace of the game. Um, and, like, you could see even the players, even their ability in, through the neutral zone, even defending their own zone, they just seem slow and off. Um, that game once so I, I sort of wrote it off but big kudos to the rangers to keep laying it on because it reminded me of their of their game seven against carolina where they really laid it on they could have maybe sat back right i think we've seen that different times different teams they sit back and then you know things get really dicey but the rangers do a really good job of like when they have the lead they keep piling it on against teams i'll give them a lot of credit for that and you know um that kid line the kid line was flying in that game against against the lightning um, I didn't watch game two, but I was very surprised to see that they lost. And just looking at the numbers, this might be the first time that Vasilevsky's gone sub 900 back-to-back games since, you know, 2019. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a rough, rough season. I know, like, for myself, when I thought about it, I was like, oh, wow. You know, after the Rangers won, I was like, okay, you know, expect the Lightning to come back to be a close game. It was 3-2. But in my head, I was like, if the Rangers win, I'm like, I think they can. I think they'll win the series. I'm gonna go on go on the record and say that I think they can win the series. I know people are like, oh, well, Game Seven, Vasilevsky. Well, all all great things come to an end at some point, and you know, 
if anything, there's there's something to be said about teams sweeping one team and then doing not so hot the next round, right? Especially last year. <laughs> that was a whole theme amongst Canadian teams. But yeah, the Rangers are playing really great. And, you know, we talked about this at the beginning, the playoffs, before it all started. Andre Vasilevsky is their big X factor. I mean, he's, he's been absolutely phenomenal. You know, like especially after the third and fourth game of the first round against Pittsburgh, Vasilevsky's numbers, insane. Shusterkin? Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, thank you. Um, Shusterkin, 938 save percentage, goals against of like 2.08 or less. Like it's pretty stellar numbers. You don't get anywhere without great goaltending. Doesn't matter what team you are, even if you could score like eight, ten, eight, ten goals occasionally in the playoffs, which is still a ton of scoring. You still, you still need an excellent goaltender, and they have that. Well, they they always used to say about Grant Fear that even though he was gonna let in four or five, he wasn't gonna let in the sixth, and Edmonton could score seven. Oh. And he he also uh, probably picked up a couple assists too. Yes, that's true with his puck playing ability. Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, uh, just to wanted to point this out. It's now two two for uh, in the Western Conference game with ten eighteen left. Ryan McLeod with the unassisted goal. The Avs have forty shots to twenty four for the Oilers. Oh, can I add? Can I add uh, one more thing? Yeah. Yeah. So I just we just saw news. So this is according to Darren Drager. <laughs> the early assessment on Kadri um, isn't looking good. It's likely he's out for the rest of the series. So. That is huge, especially with some of the analysis that you pointed out there, Riley, with him not being on the bumper there for them or in front of the net. Like, he's such an important player for them. He adds a lot of, like, fire, I feel like, you know, like that fiery spirit and stuff. I know Mac has that, but having more guys in your team that are able to kind of raise their level with that sort of attitude is always a good thing, in my opinion. We also talked about how the depth was a big issue, but now... You that put a hole in them. Like they weren't that deep on center, if you ask me. It was more in their wing spots. So it'll be interesting to see if they maybe move someone to center who doesn't always play it, or if, if this will be a bump up in uh, New Hook's minutes. Yeah, which who knows what he is, right? Like not trying to speak badly of him. I've liked a lot of what I've seen, but I've also seen him still just be. Hey, I'm young and I get outsmarted sometimes. Yeah, it could be a trial by fire. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see. Now's the time to step up for New Hook for different guys. So I think what we were saying earlier about like the depth, like I think the depth is really going to have to shine through here. Um, interesting that like two highly touted teams that have been contenders for the last couple of seasons in like Tampa and um, Colorado are missing some very, very crucial players. Braden Point for Tampa Bay, Nazem Kadri, right? So we'll see how they adjust um to that yeah i mean in both cases it's their quote-unquote second line center or a guy i say quote-unquote because both cadre and player in point have played at the level of number one centers for so many like so many teams in the league most like these when you say these two like contenders it's also just these two powerhouses probably two of yeah, the favorites absolutely. going into the pause. exactly uh so, Stu, did you have a conference final quiz I do. So I have a conference final quiz here for you. Uh, would you like to do it collaboratively or would you like to fight each other to the death? I feel like being a nice guy. I think uh, I wouldn't mind Evan carrying me. I mean, helping him out. I mean, uh, <laughs> contributing. 
<laughs> sure. I was, I, you know what, honestly, for a second, I thought you were going to be like, you know what, the people want entertainment. Let's rip each other apart. That's honestly what I thought you were going to say. So I'm good either way. My best quality is how humble I am. I'm so good at that. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. All right, Stu, you want to you wanna kick it off for us here? All right. So, we are starting it off with a Eastern Conference final theme question. Interesting. prominent player played on both sides of that series and is now working in a prominent role for an NHL organization? Hmm. I thought defenseman first. Did Leach make the move over to Pittsburgh? In the Tampa Bay, New York Rangers series. Yeah, sorry. Wait. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I feel like I feel like I'm a bit like I'm being a bit brain dead here on this. But like, can you repeat the question because it seems very vague to me? So there's prom- prominent player played on both Tampa and New York, and is now in a prominent NHL job okay martin st louis correct yeah that's where my head was going i was gonna say does um ryan mcdonough count <laughs> maybe <laughs> ex-captain of the rangers <laughs> two-time stanley cup champion for the for the Tampa bay lightning <laughs> and he still has a prominent role there you go <laughs> that, that's that's true uh Question two, what former Edmonton first-round pick scored for Colorado in game one? Tyson Berry. Yep. Nope. Oh. Uh, Tyson Berry was a second-round pick. Sorry? And Wait, sorry, was it the other way around? What, Edmonton first? So it was an Edmonton first-round pick that scored right. for Colorado. Yeah, so I even had it the wrong way around, too. Yeah, you also had it the wrong way around. Yeah. Running through the lines here. Uh, uh, Andrew called game. He was, he was tr- yes, correct. Nice. Yeah. All right, cool. Good, good teamwork there, Riley. I was thinking JT Confer. I'm like, no, no, no. JT Confer was, was drafted by the Avalanche. I was like, the only other guy that looks weird on this list is, is Caviano. I was like, okay, it's Caviano. I was thinking maybe, was thinking maybe Manson, but I was like, no, that's wrong. Like, no, it's not Manson. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, you ready for the next question? I go for it. Who is the only former Av playing for the Oilers in this series? Hmm. Uh, that would be Tyson Berry. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I jumped, see, I jumped the gun. I had the answer, just you had the wrong question. Yeah, yeah. It looks, like, it looks like Riley's carrying me instead, huh? No. You were thinking Ed. <laughs> what former Kingston Frontenac is in the lineup for the Oilers? Warren and, Fogle. Sorry? Warren Fogle. All right, bonus points. If you can tell me which former Kingston Frontenac captain is a property of the Avalanche. I, you know this better than me, Riley. You guys know. keep keep track of this. I don't. I, this is something that's not in my wheelhouse. Order defensemen, do defensemen. Wait, wait, I'm gonna be wrong. I'm gonna say Owen McEwen. 
You are correct. Hey! <laughs> hey, yo, he knows his king's He is combat. a Colorado screaming eagle. Or they okay. might not be screaming anymore. I thought, he, be... I thought he was still in uh, in Carolina, so that's why I was like, I think I'm wrong. No, he was in, like, Carolina. He was also in L.A. I was like, he's bouncing around everywhere. Like, I don't even know where he is anymore, to be honest. I didn't even know he was he in was that draft, He was drafted by L.A., traded to Carolina, and then he signed as a uh, on a two-way deal with Colorado this summer. Uh, this okay. past summer. That makes sense. Probably one of those things that stuck under the radar for me. All right, great job, Riley. You carried me on that right. one. Hey, All right. Talked, man. Don't worry. <laughs> Which Avalanche player's father is an assistant? Josh Manson. Edward. Yes, correct. And there's a there's an excellent piece by Christian Shelton of ESPN that uh, I wanted to share yeah. out that about that. And this is the the final question. Name the first overall picks in the conference finals. Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon. Correct. Correct. Stamkos. Yep. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Riley, help me out here. Yeah, I'm trying to thank you. Eric Johnson. Uh, Lafreniere. Lafreniere. Correct. Yeah, so Lafreniere, Eric Johnson. Correct. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, I'm trying to think here of like obscure people. <laughs> obscure first overall pick. Yeah, that happens. First, first overall, yeah, first overall. No, it's uh. Landis Gog was not right. Landis Gog was not. Ranton and went yeah. tenth overall. Yeah. Um. Kane was uh seven. Kane Kane was a first round pick, I think, but he wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. He's top ten. Oh, Ryan Ryan Eugene Hopkins. Correct. That's, that should be all of them. them all. There, there shouldn't be any more. Smith has first overall in my heart. That's not true, but... <laughs> yeah, but that, that should be all of them. Is that right? Yeah, that is all of them. And that is the quiz. Congratulations. Yeah, no, Riley, we, we, got, did a, we did a You got it all. Let's go. Teamwork makes the dream work. Ooh. If we had fought each other, that would have went way, way, way worse. It really would have. You would have, you know, you, honestly, like, the, most of your points would have been derived from uh, the Kingston for our next questions. Hey, you got to learn your niches. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But <laughs> did you like that? Dave Manson. There you go. Josh Manson. I, before he I, even finished the question, I already knew the answer. Perfect. I knew the question to the, or I knew the answer to the question like coming up next. So, <laughs> hey, yo, that 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 future foresight right there. <laughs> All right, moving on to our news. Evan, what's your take on uh, Mr. Martin Saint-Louis? Well, the, all the who is now officially the head coach for the Montreal Canadiens on a three-year contract. Yeah, um, so all the all the jokes about him, like, what was it, going back to, like, coach a Bantam team, I was like, okay, you know what? Scurry out of here. Um, I did see some memes sort of about him being the 32nd coach in Montreal's history because we finished, th- we are the first team to finish 32nd overall in the league. Yada, 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 whatever, boo-hoo. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with us. Especially for Cole Caulfield. I think Marty St. Louis was such an important um, catalyst um, and influence to help Cole Caulfield really get his confidence back, get him like 
up and playing to sort of what the expectations were going into the season. You know, with I've seen it so many times, like with Caulfield under Ducharme versus San Luis, a massive difference under San Luis. A point of game play. There's a stretch of 20, 26, 29 games where he was he was point of game if not over a point of game. So it was pretty remarkable to see that. Um, and yeah, just looking forward to seeing you know how the team progresses, especially all the young players. Um, yeah, like I'm curious to see kind of how the young defensemen end up sort of developing and integrating into Marty St. Louis system as it evolves. But the one thing I will say is that for Marty St. Louis, the expectations. It's going to be interesting to navigate it because obviously from what management has said, we don't want to be in that position of drafting first overall again. Although if you ask me, I'm like, maybe wouldn't hurt. But again, I don't know if we can take another season of that. I feel like the fans, the fans will get pissed because it's, it's Montreal fans. But at the same time, I feel like there's been a good understanding from the fans because management's done a good job of communicating right and and doing things right and really saying like yeah this is a full rebuild so don't expect this to be good like instantly this is a process we're going to do our best to get it right so hopefully that should help ease some pressure off of marty st louis but he's been a star player he's a hall of fame player and uh yeah i think he can manage the the pressure you know because who takes a job right who takes a job in like that market without really understanding, you know, the scrutiny that you might be under. And he he grew up cheering for the team. He's from the Montreal area. He knows what the, the pressure is of the Montreal market. And I think that the you mentioned the communication with your fan base. That's so huge because I feel like in other Montreal Canadiens regimes, there hasn't been that sort of when they've been bad, there hasn't been a, a communication with the fan base and the, the fans get really mad about it because they're like, we should be good. Why aren't we good? Please tell us why we're not good. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that the, the New York Rangers really sort of set the, set the standard of the releasing a, a letter to your fans saying, hey, we we're not going to be good, but it's going to lead to something, and that's what Montreal's hoping for right now. And the the young guys that they're assembling. Yeah, absolutely. And like just to just touch on some of the points you brought up, like what the Rangers did, and that was under Gordon, like releasing that letter. And you saw like other franchises fall suit. I think LA also wrote a letter um, to their fans. So it was kind of interesting to see how different franchises sort of mimic that. Um, but I have faith. I have confidence that. You know, we can we can turn things around. It's gonna be a process. It's fine, but I want to get it right and and make sure that the team is uh, as good as it can possibly be. Obviously, yeah. Um. So with San Luis, my biggest thing is you're right with the Caulfield influence. But you did also fail to mention Suzuki. Suzuki also saw a big uptake afterwards. And for me, you guys are drafting a number like the first overall pick. You want a guy who doesn't necessarily have to win you the cup, but has to be a good teacher. And we saw direct influence from footage in a practice of Caulfield learning the, oh, I'm on the power play, I can be set up for a one-timer, receive it, make a move, shoot. He got taught that by Marty Santelli, and we saw that within a following game, within the following week. And so if he can truly just teach the team, that that's what it should be. It's probably a long, slow rebuild. So... If he's not this, he might get fired before he gets the chance to see this team pan out, but he could do a great job grooming this team. 
And I think it sucks for him that he might get fired for it, but as a Habs fan, you should be excited for it. And I think you're right to be a little concerned about how is he for teaching D? He played forward his whole life, right? That's why I think Burnsy coming a coach would be great. You can teach both. <laughs> all right, cool. We're just, you know, the, uh, the Habs are just going to collect all the uh, Sharks players, you know. Hey, whoa, 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 no, no, I didn't say you could go there. He's staying at San Jose. No, I'm just saying, like, as a, right, you know, in our NHL, okay, FYI for our listeners, Riley and I, like, have played a lot of NHL franchise together, and, like, we, we had different teams. They're just recruiting. No, really? Players. Yeah, we collect them like they're Infinity Stones. We had uh, Jumbo, Giroux, Vlasic. It was, like, Backstrom. I don't even know. There's so many different guys that we had. Burnsy as our coaches, and we won cost with them. So, yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for Jumbo, though. Fingers crossed for him, though. Mentioning Jumbo very quickly. Oh, man, you want to go down that route? Deal. I'm in. So you know how there's an open GM job in San Jose? And an open coach job, I think. No, coach job's not technically open. He's for the upcoming year. Just often a lot of new GMs working their own coach. So I'm wondering um, if if Jumbo calls it quits, is there a co-GM situation going on there between... Patty and uh, Jumbo, or maybe it's one's the coach, one's the GM, or? I that would be incredible. I, but it, it, it depends on what those guys are thinking. Well, it depends. Are you offering Jumbo uh, access to cut all the lawns or not? Is that in his contract? <laughs> <laughs> I think I could definitely see Patty do, doing some work in the, fr- in the front office. Like, Nabokov's there, too, like, as part of the coaching staff. So they all played together, and to my knowledge, we're all friendly with each other. So it, I don't think it's out of the question. I, 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 definitely, I, I definitely agree. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. It's interesting stuff. And I'm sure that we'll be talking about, um, what was it, the whole void around the league for head coaches and who's going to go where. That's going to be an interesting conversation when we, when we have that later on. Pierre yeah. LeBron had a really good article uh, outlining sort of the, the immediate candidates, I would say, and then sort of the potential in the future and he had a pair of uh he had jessica campbell uh he had a pair of women at the end of the, the list uh which i thought was fantastic and i do think that we will see female head coaches someday we're just not we're not there yet but i do think that it is coming yeah no denial there like i could see it sooner rather than later to be honest uh i think it for like for no particular reason, I don't think keeps on the hot seat or anything. But Toronto seems to be often moving in that direction before everyone else, and everyone seems to follow. So could be there. Who knows though? Moving yeah. on, Stu, do you want to tell us what's going on in the CHL? In the CHL, so the the CHL, uh, there's been a lot of reporting on this by Rick Westhead, who's a fantastic investigative reporter at. Uh, at uh, at TSN, sorry, and uh, so he was reported that eight CHL players who settled the case uh, in April about an alleged sexual assault uh, that happened in London after a, a CHL gala. I won't go into any of the details. Uh, they are pretty graphic. What is being alleged here? Uh, if I would recommend that you check out that that TSN article, not because it's 
pretty, but because it's important to see what potentially is going on in hockey, because it is not good <laughs> if it's if it's true, and I just want to see that the the investigations that Hockey Canada is undergoing and the NHL is undergoing that whoever that whomever is involved is punished if if these allegations are true. Hopefully that comes out that comes in in public. I think that it's important for this stuff to be out in public and not done behind closed doors, but I do understand that it's potentially dealing with minors in this situation, so that doesn't always necessarily mean we get names due to the the legality there. Yeah, like I mean this also brings to light like obviously I'm going to talk about it on a bit of a smaller level, but there is a bit of a stigma, and that's probably warranted about toxic toxic masculinity and hockey locker rooms, and often the players themselves often are involved with situations of that, and we need to try to move away from that. And that that starts with some coaches just allowing it, some coaches even buying into it, thinking you know they can toughen up their boys or whatever. It's it's gotta stop because this isn't the first time we've seen this sort of thing happen with hockey teams, and we we need to put an end to it. Yeah, it's just a it's a it's a poor thing for our game whenever things like this come out, and it's just like, come on, guys, we need to <laughs> we need to 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 band together and prove that the sport's better than this. Yeah, it is. It's. It's a it's a, it's a stain, a disgusting stain in our game, to be honest. Um, you know, and you know it's it's interesting. Like, you know, what? I just thought about this because this conversation that we're having, but like, there's been literally no coverage by the media of like what's going to happen to Logan Mayu under this new management group, just because of in light of what we're saying, right? How do they treat that? How you know he's a he's our first first round pick. Like it's from like last year, I don't know the Bergevin era, but like, yeah, what like what type of message does that send? I think that was kind of ill advised on Bergevin's part, to be honest. I was not happy when he when we when we took him. I was really mad, to be honest. Uh, and you know, we I know we we all had a you know private conversation about this about you know what we thought, but it, it's it's interesting. Obviously, you know, I think people do deserve a second chance, right? But at the same time, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta draw the line somewhere and really um, punish those that, that do this stuff, right? To, to tell and show others that this is unacceptable and this shouldn't be a thing, um, period, that exists. Whether it's in our game, whether, you know, obviously outside of a game and, and like life in general, it shouldn't, shouldn't happen. Speaking of controversial draft picks and being in the news, Mitchell Miller uh, was named USHL Player and Defenseman of the Year, which do with that information as you will. I don't know who that is, so if you can give me some context, that'd be great. He was the Arizona Coyotes' fifth-round pick. Oh, that player. Yes, 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 that player. Yes, now I remember. Yes, yes. He, he was Logan Mayu before Logan Mayu. A Mayu-y. bit of a bully. He's like, yeah, a, he's like the worst version of Logan Mayu, to be honest. It was the... Yes, it was not yeah, good. Really, really, really not good. What was 
what came out about him. And that again, I, I as a, a journalism student, Katie Strang of the Athletic did some fantastic writing on the the Mitchell Miller situation. Rick Westhead continues to be a a, a very important voice in in following anything involving legal cases in in Canada and and the U.S. in hockey for sure. Yeah, and I mean. I'm just going to say this. I blame the U.S. SHL, and also, I don't. I don't blame them for giving him the awards, because if he's in the league, the awards probably say on them, like, best defenseman, most outstanding player, and that's just referring to his hockey. But I also blame the league for letting him be in there without a a punishment at all. He doesn't get that year-long suspension. He doesn't get a lifetime ban, like, nothing. So, as Evan said, like, there needs to be a punishment, but... That doesn't mean, oh, your skills go away, so that's what all I'm going to say as far as him getting the award. I don't think he should be in the league to even be trying to at this point. And I know this is a hockey podcast, but I just want to bring up something a little bit close that's on, it's been on my mind a bit because I follow the NFL and the D- Deshaun Watson sort of situation with the, the cases, and the NFL has suspended players without uh, an official court case or an official court um, ruling on things uh, because they say it's against league policy. They And they determined in their own way that it's against, it's against league policy, whether that be fair or not. But I... I do believe like it is up to these leagues to say whether these people can play and to to come out in with with support for why they why they should be given chances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anything else to add, Evan? Uh, no, I think we're all in agreement um, about this. So I want to rant and talk about how dumb it is that Arizona might be getting the new Tempe Arena, and that coming with it is, oh, they they have to sign a 30-year no-relocation clause. Yeah, you're saying, here you go, keep laundering money for 30 years. Is the league getting a tax credit off of them? Like, well, I don't understand. What's Like, we saw a Q, Q game recently that had more fans, like, what was it, Stu? Almost three times the amount of fans as uh, what Arizona can have in their current arena? Yep, yeah, so it's, uh, that's at the, the, the Videotron Center in Quebec City where the, the Quebec Ramparts were playing a, a playoff game and they had 15, I believe it was 15, 16,000 people. So if you're happy with that five right now, what? why not even just, like, relocate them for the year well and so just to be clear the it was batman that said that if they're if they're gonna go ahead with this they need the the 30 year no relocation clause it wasn't it it wasn't the city of arizona it wasn't the arizona coyotes organization it was the commissioner of the nhl which is why it's a boneheaded move by the nhl because I understand they're probably trying to grow the sport in Arizona, but, like, stop it. It's already dead. It's- I think they should try Houston, personally. 
I think if they tried Houston, they'd, they'd at least be trying a new market, not one that they've been having issues with since its inception. Or I think you, could, you could build a battle of Texas. That's exactly what I was thinking with the Dallas Stars and then the Houston whatever, like, you know, whatever they're called. I think that's a really great idea, Stu. And I'm the sure Houston, the they Houston also- Oilers. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be hilarious. That would be hilarious. Nashville as well. Yeah, if you had the Houston yeah, Oilers, the Edmonton Oilers versus the Houston, it'd be the 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 who, the battle of oil or something like who the oil who are the oil kings. <laughs> so, for that game, they, they changed their short uh, shortened to liters versus gallons. Oh gosh, <laughs> that'd be good. That'd be good. Um, do you want to go to the the shark? A little bit of sharks news there. Yeah, so I actually didn't see this article, so this is a bit of news to me. Okay, cool. So I was this was just something I came across today in my social feeds uh, from Sharks writer Shang Peng, uh, who wrote why Evander Kane's playoff success could be a good thing for the San Jose Sharks. Because, so everybody, I'm sure, is aware that... Uh, Evander Kane has a grievance case against the San Jose Sharks right now, which could the the end result could be that he's a free agent at the end of the year and San Jose owes money. It could be that he is a property of the San Jose Sharks and they will have to either buy him out or trade him. Sure. Or, there could, or there could be any number of things that happen. But um, I file my grievance against Evander Kane. Sorry? As a Sharks fan, where do I file my grievance against Evander Kane? <laughs> Just start the petition, <laughs> Riley. The emotional damages. Uh, but so, according to, to Pang, uh, in the article, he wrote uh, that if, uh, he is, if he's a, a free agent this summer, then whatever number whatever money he gets from a team will subtract from what the sharks owe him so he would for next year if he's unsigned counts i believe is seven million dollars against the cap uh to the san jose sharks but if some team were to say give him three million dollars now he costs four million against the cap for san jose which could be absolutely huge given where San Jose's cap uh, is. They, they don't need it tied in players that will not play for them. So that and, was I the- don't think, and I don't think that San Jose particularly wants Kane, even if they end up with him. So that was the end result of the grievance? No, it's, no it's so the, the grievance hasn't... Yeah. There's yeah. a second hearing. Yeah. yeah. This is just... Sorry, go ahead. This is just sort of conjecture on uh, some of the the pathways forward after the the grievance is finished. Yeah, let me let me let me add I, something yeah. actually because I'm I'm curious to hear what you have to say on this, Riley. So it's like readings of the article, and um, <clears throat> so Kane actually has a three t- three team trade clause. So basically. It's, uh, he has a choice of three organizations of where he can be dealt, which makes trading him kind of hard, to be honest. 
Um, so if let's say that happens and the Sharks can't meet that, um, can like that that part of his contract, obviously, in the case of him, you know, being winning the grievance and then being under contract with them, they would either you know it's like you stuck with him or you you're forced to buy him out. And if the buyout happens, we know that another like that bought out player can go sign a contract somewhere else and technically double dip and get paid, right? By two different teams. So um that's also a possibility. But I'm I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. Especially the contract clause. I didn't I didn't know that he had a three team trade clause like that. So can he win the Stanley Cup as the member of the Sharks this year then? Wait, that's actually a really interesting <laughs> no, question he... to be honest. I don't know. <laughs> Kidding when I say that, like, like, so, because you guys are saying get sent back in in this case, right? So then, how does like does his name get removed from the cup then? Like, I'm, I'm like, it, I feel like this would, this would, like, I if feel he like wins he's the cup, on the there's team no way we have to for the Oilers. Yeah, yeah this is the weirdest loophole. This is the like, weirdest loophole. This, 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 the NHL could ever find itself. Yeah, in. it's a good question. Because. That would, yeah, because technically, I guess, yeah, like, I don't understand how you can win the cup with one team while still being under contract for another and then have to return to that one. Well, because he's currently under because contract his grievance, with Oilers. Because his grievance hasn't gone through, he's property of the Edmonton Oilers right yeah. now. Yes. He it's... signed a contract. But once the grievance. No, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, it, like, does that make sense in any way? Like, why would the grievance even allow that then? Like if, in the in the great words of Down Goes Brown, it's the NHL. Why would anything make sense? Yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> that, yeah, it's one way to put it. <laughs> I, I feel like at minimum they should allow us to like waive his no trade clause. Like I feel like like if he goes and wins the cup, like that, and we get then stuck with this guy, I'm gonna be pissed that the league isn't doing anything. If if he wins the cup, yeah. Do you think that San Jose could just ransom him back to Edmonton? Because Edmonton will be like, we just won the cup with this guy. We need him. No, because they can't afford trade him. Trade him to trade him to Edmonton for Jesse Poveri. Uh, and then we'd also have to take on Koskinen and Duncan Keith. Koskinen expires at the end of the year. Yeah, so, like, we have to take on Cap. If you but, took on Duncan Keith, that would be hilarious. That would be it would hilarious. Be. It would but be like the old man decor of the league. Let's show that. Just like many, I guess that would put you to two. That did put you to two Norris trophies. No, three Norris trophies. Yeah. Four Norris yeah, trophies. Four. It would be four. Yeah. <laughs> four. Uh, how many Olympic golds? Two. Two, does, I think. Uh, does Keith just have one? Wait, Ooh. you're talking about total. I'm, might, I'm talking like how many times. Oh, okay. No, probably more. Because Keith, Keith was on that 2010 team in Vancouver, right? Yeah. Or am I wrong? I right? I feel so. like he was. And he then, was like, in a lesser role, per se, right? Like, Pickles uh, has a gold goal. Yeah. From uh, 2014. Duncan Keith has two Olympic golds. Did he make that Sochi team? Because I remember that Sochi team, they like the extras were like it was PK Subban and Dan Hamus. Brent Burns has one. Yeah, he was yeah. on the team, yeah. So 
And then, like, Eric Carlson has silver? Yeah, from Sochi. Yeah, so, like, that's that's a lot of hardware. No, Burns doesn't have a Olympic medal. He wasn't, yeah, because it was... That team was like it was like Dowdy, Keith, Weber, Blasic, Petrangelo, and like someone else. I'm forgetting. I think not Jake Muzzin. Maybe maybe Jake Muzzin. Wasn't that? I thought it was PK. That was PK and uh, Pickles were the extra uh, winners. Uh, it was uh, it was PK and Dan Hughes who were the extras. Like one of them would always be out. It was weird. It was Mike Babcock who was the coach. He probably mm-hmm. was like, yeah, I don't like PK, so mm-hmm. you know. Too much of a liability out there defensively. I mean, it kind of made sense. They couldn't score for a period of time in that tournament. It was literally the blue line scoring all the goals for them. They were winning like one nothing, and Carey Price was pretty much god incarnate in terms of just raw stats. <laughs> yeah, I, I just pulled up the stats for that Olympic. Yeah, it wasn't until like the threw down and let them that, in like point. Hayes and Crosby scored. I think. Yeah, Drew, Do- Drew Doughty and Shea Weber tied for the the team yeah, leading they, points. They really did a lot of scoring for us. Each. Yeah, it was. Re- we played like one nothing hockey. It was that was it for Canada win that gold medal. I remember that. And I believe it was a one nothing win in the semifinals against Team USA, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Who's ready to play? Let's pick a direction. Let's play. Pick a direction. Pick a direction, okay, wait, boys. Before we, before we, before we start intermission here, very, very quick. The Avalanche go up three nothing in the series. JT Comfort with the game winner. So yep. wow, that's. Let's see how uh, Edmonton responds here. Anyway, let's. Uh, oh, Riley, do you want to give uh, our listeners some context about pick a direction? So pick a direction is we're gonna take all of the teams that missed the playoffs. And I'm going to fight rapid fire between uh, Evan and Stu and get one word answers whether they should be going for Bedard, next year's potential first overall pick, slash Michikov, or uh, head on their way to playoffs. And then we will get into some highlights of, of them, but... So I just have to pull up teams that missed the playoffs. So, Stu, Buffalo. Tank. Evan, Jersey. Tank. Anaheim, Stu. Tank. LA. Uh, they go for playoffs. Ottawa. Playoffs, playoffs. yeah, because of messaging. Detroit. Sorry. Detroit. Um, tank, yeah. Stu, Sharks. Tank. All right. Um, yeah, so Evan, you want to pick up on one there? Because we're going to go over some highlights here, I think. Wait, highlights for what? Sorry. <laughs> like, just, just, like, the biggest question mark teams. So, like, I guess, for example, LA would be one. Also, I think you missed the most glaring of the all Knights. of the... Uh... Yeah, Golden Knights. Uh, you missed another yeah, Arizona, one. Arizona, Montreal too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this list, this right, list right, is uh, flawed. Stu, uh, uh, <laughs> Vegas. No. Exactly. Um, Riley, Arizona. 
or no, here, Montreal. I want you. What do you guys say? Not me. Montreal. I gotta think here, cause you know this is really difficult. This one's super difficult. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. You know, um, we're done with the rebuild after we get a uh, you know the first overall pick uh, here. Um, oh, Arizona. That this this one, guys, the most difficult one too. Relocate. Correct. <laughs> you win. <laughs> Who else are we missing? Seattle. Nevin. Yeah, they tank. They tank. Makes sense. So yeah, I want to hear Stu's thing about uh, the Sharks. Wait, wait, we missed. So, we, um, we we missed some other teams. Philadelphia. Who did we miss? Philly. Tank. Uh, New York Islanders. Playoff. Interesting. I don't think they should. Um. Oh, uh, Columbus. Vancouver. Tank. Uh, Winnipeg. And uh, last but not least, I guess, uh, Chicago. Tank. Playoff. Interesting. Okay. So we disagreed on Winnipeg. I I, I, like named off the last six, eight teams. No, yeah, yeah, I meant Stuart. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, now can I get Stu's uh, reason why the Sharks oh, are tanking? Oh, go for it, go for it. We'll, we'll divulge here. Yeah. Why should they be tanking, I think? I don't know. It's not should be. It's what we think the team's going to try to do. Oh. Well, what they what they will do is playoffs. But yeah. I think they should tank. Because, yeah. Well, just you, you look at their, their cap structure, their... They're not a team that can tank very easily. But, no, it, like you again, you look at their cap structure. They're also a team with cap space this this offseason, which is slim. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll probably, depending on the the general manager they pick, either spend in free agency to make themselves a a big contender, sure. or maybe reshift, take on bad money elsewhere on short term and pick up assets for it. All depends on the direction of the general manager they pick and what they think of San Jose's young prospects and like Eklund and Bordalo and Merkley and how they would deal with the, the, the older guys on the roster too. What do you, yeah, what do you think of my take of uh, the Islanders? Like, I think Lou's trying to win, and you look at their cap structure, they're trying to win, even though the roster doesn't look great. He's 80. Of course he's trying to win. <laughs> I mean, there's that. But also, you look at the the, um, the structure of the team in terms of contracts, it reminds me of, like, Montreal with what Bergeron was trying to do, except it's kind of worse in its own way because, yeah, there are older, there are older players. Well, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to find a a goalie partner, I think, because I think that Varlamov is. I agree with you. I think he's gone, but I also think Sorokin has played his way into being. 
Oh, yeah. I think Sorokin has played his way into 1A, which is why you don't pay Farlamov what he yeah, probably Yeah, he's probably going to get, like, open four or five million on the market. Yeah. I think that you, yeah, so you look you look at 1B, maybe you could try and snipe Philly. Maybe, Nito. maybe, right? I feel like even a guy like a Pebble nope. Francis type player, they can get a guy like that would be good for them even too. If that makes sense. Like a guy that can play like 25, yeah. 30 games for you, like Shuin, you're like, yeah, we're good with that. And give the rest to, to Sorokin. I think there's a chance there's going to be some a lot of goal t- goaltending turnover in San Jose this offseason, so I think there might be something available there because they might if like, if they're trying to win, they might try to go get Flurry or or Varlamov. So maybe that opens up a Cajonan uh, or a Hill. I mean, Reimer. Reimer still has one year left. Possibly, yeah. It'll be interesting. Okay. Yep. Yep. It'll be no. interesting to see for next year. I know that we this game was tank or playoffs. Um, over the the years where we've had like potential franchise guys like Bedard and Mishikov at one and two, we've seen other we've seen other years in the past where like there are teams heavily tanking. Like in uh, my one of my classes recently. One of my professors is a Sportsnet producer, and he produced a doc about the eighty-three, eighty-four Penguins, and how they like were basically playing an ECHL goalie for like a third of the season because they were were trying to get Mario Lemieux, mm-hmm. and then like the the tank year for Alexander Dag, the tank year for Pittsburgh to get Crosby. Teams tank in the NHL. It's it's totally a thing. Like if you don't see it, you're you're not you're really not seeing it. The, the Buffalo Sabres traded away Yarrow Halak because he was too good. And what did they end up with? <laughs> Jack Eichel. Oh wait. Uh, yeah, uh, and no, Alex what did they end? Uh, Luke. Yeah. I mean Arizona <laughs> coming into this this and, this uh, this past season they everyone was like yep pilots are going for it completely excuse me they have all-star last pick of the all-star phil kessel they're not trying to tank kessel's like 34 35 now and like yeah he had a good season granted playing on a team that was that bad quote unquote but fair enough (laughs) austin cross is a franchise player clayton keller poor clayton keller all right if we if if somebody's saying Lawson Krauss is a franchise player, I think we've spun our wheels on pretty much the, the everything. The Melgon is here. the greatest goalie in the world. <laughs> if you want to say if you want to say uh, like Lawson Krauss is a franchise player, I mean to be fair to him, like starting out like early on in the season, like he actually played really well for them, and then like any goalie playing on a really really not so good team, he got worn down and right, and teams started sort of figuring him out, but. He didn't have any support from the team that he was playing on, um, so that's why he, you know, obviously conceded a ton of goals. So, uh, any anything else we want to add before we wrap this thing up, Evan? Uh, nothing much except for just thanking our listeners as usual. Really appreciate you guys taking time to um, listen to what we have to say. Um, as we said before, shout out to people in Belgium, uh, also Sharks fans in San Jose, um, and uh, everywhere else. 
um, that you guys are from. Thanks for listening again, uh, wherever you are in the world. And uh, make sure that uh, you slam that email address if you've got uh, questions, comments, concerns, topics you want us to talk about, things that you think are important for us to mention, any guests that you think should we should have on. What is that email again? That email is housewivesofhockey at gmail.com. Can I get that one more time? Housewivesofhockey at gmail.com. Ah, now I know where to send all my comments, questions, and concerns. Evan, where do you send it? <laughs> housewivesofhockey at gmail.com. So. Just a friendly reminder for you listeners out there for this episode, any episode moving forward. I often say, now Evan, would you like to talk? And that's where your cue is to fast forward. Well, enjoy us next week. I'm Riley. I'm Evan. And I'm Stu, hanging it up for the week.